Episode 111. <clears throat> All right, guys, back again. Uh, our next guest, uh, again, I guess I say this so many times, but Podmatch has been where I found so many great people. Um, finding more people are reaching out to me now, but uh, we got to talk earlier. Uh, first time we got to get to know each other and um, you know, we just made an appointment to do this and here we are. Um, uh, but we had a really nice, like, you know, intimate conversation just about, you know, people with disabilities and, um, you know, she doesn't have one herself, but she'll explain why she's on the show. Um, but yeah, she's a really sweet woman and I'm glad she's doing the work that she's doing. Um, so you want to tell us your name and a uh, little about yourself? Yes. Hi. Thank you, TJ. And thank you for everyone listening now. My name is Andrea Petrut. I'm originally from Romania. And right now I live in Canada with my current husband and three children. One of which, um, and I have a two girl, uh, sorry, two boys and a girl. And one of the boys is a child with beautiful brain malformations. And that's the reason why. <laughs> I contacted you and um, I wanted to see how I can serve your audience. Yeah, sure. Um, so kind of tell people what, what that is, is what, what that he has. Yeah. So he has um, a disorder of corpus, corpus callosum and also uh, porencephalus or porencephaly, sorry. So parts of the, his brain which is porencephaly and hydrocephalus, parts of his brain are missing, mainly in the middle of his brain okay. and on one, uh, like the neocortex, part of the neocortex of uh, one of the hemispheres. And uh, the disorder of the corpus callosum in his case is hypogenesis, which means that that bridge between the two hemispheres that we're, you're used to uh, being there, for him it is, but it's not as wide and as thick as it should be. So there are less connections between the two hemispheres. Okay. Interesting. Um, so how does that, like, impact his just, you know, daily routine and just in general? Like, how, how does it affect him? Um, before saying how it affects him, uh, I, I should say that all these combinations that he has, the hydrocephalus, the parts of the brain missing and all of that, make his situation unique. And okay. what the disorder of the corpus callosum in his case may do, and some things we can see in him, some things are not, is um, the difficulty to retrieve information, uh, issues with reading social cues and um, executive skills and, and other stuff depends on the parts of the brain that are affected and depends on how his brain 
is able to reconnect the information. I'm going to give you a simple example. Let's say I ask you, what color is the sky? Now, if you're blind, if you've always been blind, you won't be able to say that. So please forgive me. That was not an appropriate question no, no, for you <laughs> and other listeners. But let's say you somehow remember or you know you have the information that the color of the sky, usually when it's clear, is blue. Yeah. Well, he he can see. So I thought that this question would be very easy to answer, right? Like, yeah. what's the color of the sky? He, ju- he could just look outside the window and say, well, it's blue. Uh, or where does the sun rise? Right? Where does the sun rise? Well, everybody knows it's in the east. Well, guess what? I was surprised. And as I saw this years ago. Um, he could not answer. So my child is not dumb. You know, he's, he was never diagnosed as retarded and he can never be diagnosed. Actually, he was diagnosed with low IQ, which was so silly because he already was, since he was two years old, he was learning English and Spanish and Chinese. And if, if you tell me that's low IQ, you've got to be crazy. And a three-year-old and a half, he was improvising on a piano without even having a piano lesson. So there is an issue that with some psychologists. But coming back to this example, I wondered why. Why my son is not able to give me a very simple answer to something we can know, we the people who see can notice. The sun is rising in the east and the sky is blue. So I started asking questions. You know, you go around the bush in a way, like you, you got to go in different places so the brain can give you the same answer, mm-hmm. but not directly. Okay. So this is one of the issues that I see. And I still see it today after so many years. His brain has the information somewhere or in different parts. The problem is because of the missing connections in the corpus callosum, his brain needs help to retrieve that information, whatever that is. And the issue is, you know, you and I can, can talk now about the difficulties we have when people don't understand what is going on with us and what our needs are, right? Um, and in his case, if you don't know that you have to change the question so you can get the right answer, you think he's not intelligent. You think he, he lacks education. You're going to blame me as a mother because he doesn't know, which is not true. He knows. The problem is how do we ask? How do we mediate so that he can show us what he knows? Right. Do you, do you think it's kind of like, if using an analogy, do you think it's kind of like how, you know, we're the consumer and we go to buy from Amazon, but if Amazon doesn't have their own trucks, if you don't have FedEx, FedEx to travel it to you, how are you getting your package? So it's just there. Of course, then you can find an alternate route to how to get there. They could fly it to you. They're doing these drones and so on. But if you don't have someone to bring the package to you, um, you're not going to receive it. Uh, so like I said, he's, yes, he's missing the, that middleman, the middle part of his brain. Yeah. And you know, uh, there is a study and forgive me, I don't remember where, but there is a, there is a study online where they figured out that even people without, and we have examples, there are people without corpus callosum. It's called agen- agenesis of corpus callosum. So we have people who don't have the, the connection at all. Still, the brain is able to connect one hemisphere to the other, different points with one another and give you the information. So the brain will always find a way. Uh, they People like him can think, can you know, they can do so much. But when it comes to 
somebody from the outside, outside their brain, mm. to ask something of them, that's when they need help. Either they will ask themselves because they understand what's going on, and they will ask the person, can you say it in another way? Can you ask me the same thing, but in another way? And that's going to be a challenge for some people because they, they, <laughs> they will have to think. <laughs> right, yeah. Or... The other person um, will figure out or will understand what's going on and will be able to say it in another way. Like for you, right? Uh, let's say uh, I'm a 2020 vision person, right? And I, I meet you or another blind person. And uh, I start speaking something that only person who can see is able to recognize or whatnot, right? right. So I would need to change my <laughs> my my. Uh, my speech or anything so you and other people can understand it same thing is here people need to know what is first of all he needs to know he needs to understand and it takes a while for him until he will be able to understand all the facets of what of how his brain works and what he has and what he needs and um and it's educating the people around him to be tolerant and accept um that there are highly intelligent people who need help in retrieving information and, and you know, and communicating and relating to other people. And, you know, you asked me uh, how it's affecting his case, and I'm going to give you an example about social cues and uh, communication and relating. He, there are two things. One, he is such a great, he has such great humor, so in his opinion, right? He has a huge laughter. The problem is his jokes are bad jokes for many. <laughs> so he's laughing and having fun. But other people are like, ah, I, I, I feel offended. <laughs> so then um, this is another thing. And it's hard to teach people to actually understand the difference between a good joke and a bad joke because it's so subjective. You know? right, right. So it, there are some rules in there, but it's, you know, it's more intuitively, and this is an issue. It's not logic. It's very hard to teach this logically. It's more like from experience and intuitively. So he's going to get it. Uh, it just takes a while. And um, another you, thing is... When you say bad jokes, yeah. do you mean like, how did the chicken cross the road? Or do you mean like bad jokes as in like offensive jokes? Not offensive as in, although sometimes could be, you know, like things saying something about a person, a word that was an adjective, right? Something that would describe the person, which right. like, doesn't, like, no. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> but they find it fun. Or um, the person is, this is another situation related or not to joking, uh, where somebody's upset, like you and I or others, right, could clearly see the what's, what is the emo what are the emotions the person in front of us is going through? Like reading the social cues, like okay, look at the face, look at the voice, uh, listen to the voice, or whatever. There are signs showing you that person is in distress, is frustrated, is sad, right, or too tired, or whatever, right? We read these cues, or most of us can do that. Well, he has a hard time understanding. Like you literally have to tell him, I'm gonna like she is this and this and that. Please be aware and. Stop doing that or, you know, like it's, it's baby stuff. Right. Yeah. Instructions all the way. 
Absolutely. Um, before you go on, like, was is this something he? I mean, I'm obviously it was, but just so for the audience who doesn't know, this is something you absolutely are born with, right? Yes. Um, when he was five years old, his father and I went to a neurologist, and just so you and the audience know, my son had multiple uh, brain surgeries. Um, the first one was when he was three months and a half to help him with a hydrocephalus. And then because his brain could not balance itself on, on its own, uh, he needed a shunt, which is a very small, a very small tube that helps the brain with the cerebrospinal fluid and bring that flow into balance. So, um, you need for that MRI to actually see what's going on in the brain, where the, where there's pressure when the baby's growing and where the, if there's a need for another surgery to adjust all that. So although we had so many MRIs, nobody could tell us a reason. Mm-hmm. We could have done genetic tests, you know, mm-hmm. but we didn't like there was, it, it was, it was not that simple and it was not needed. What we found out when he was five is that his brain, when, when his brain was forming, it's actually three days after conception, for whatever reason, they don't know, um, something happened, and out of all the blood vessels that should have formed, he only had two, if I remember well. So out of, it's like out of four that we must have, he only has two. Now, the extraordinary ability of the body and the brain makes it so that his bo- his brain uh, somehow managed to feed itself, nurture itself, and grow having just those um, vessels, brain, you know, blood vessels. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, mm-hmm. um, before you, I, one question I wanted to ask you, which is kind of like, you know, a weird, maybe a weird question to ask, maybe, but what is it like being the parent and having to like let your child go for surgery? I ask because I know what it's like to be the other person, um, the one getting mm-hmm. the surgery. And my mom used to walk to the operating room to the doors where those automatic doors, and I used it used to freak me. I would cry all the time, and of course that got her super emotional because she knew I was, you know, afraid, but also you know I, I was just super scared of you know, whatever they're about to do to me, even though it's something I need in my life to help me preserve some of my sight or, or whatever they were working on, skin grafts and all these things. Uh, what is it like being the parent, having to just, like, give your child up, knowing that, you know, he's probably scared and, you know, horrified of what's about to happen? I was traumatized. It was horrible. It was heartbreaking. I knew that I trusted the doctors, but for a mom's heart, and when I say a mom, you know, I, he's my biological son, so I had him inside me for nine months. We have a very deep connection. But my feelings could have been the same for a mom who has not had the biological, the the child as of, from her body, but the connection between the mother and child is, is extraordinary. And, um, I was like, if you would, I, I assume if somebody would look at me in those moments, I was non-existent. I was, I was fading away in a way. 
I was just, I was just one heart. That's it. The rest of me is like was gone. My, my heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit, my everything was in those moments with my son in, in the operating room, wondering what are they doing to him? How is he feeling? Praying that angels and anybody uh, would come and, and guide the, the team, the medical team, and would give my son the support. And somehow, somehow my son, as young as he was, would, uh, was, is able to feel his mom, me, there and, and have that peace that I'm safe. My mom is with me. You know, I, I always envisioned that I would, I would be there like a spirit. <laughs> and my son would recognize me. I would get, I would speak to him like, I'm here. I'm giving you a sign. Look, there's a, there's a heart bracelet on your hand. There was, there was no heart bracelet. It's just my imagination, you know, but I would do anything to calm myself down and to have faith and, and trust that he's going to be okay. And every single time, Every single time he went there, I went through the same stuff because it, you cannot prepare a child. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. They just, they just do it, you know, and even they, if they have a heart and especially when they don't, it's cold. It's, you can tell me better than, uh, than what my imagination is, but I, you know, I saw myself in, in his, in his eyes and I'm like, what am I? And, and you know what? I'm telling you that it's a very big responsibility for any parent to say yes to a surgery that is going to traumatize the child, even if it's worth saving that child's life or helping him have or her have a longer life. I was there's a huge responsibility on my shoulders and on my on their on his father's shoulders. It's it's really huge. Like. Yeah. You you have to let go and give away your child, your precious, your heart, your everything. Put, like you said, you know, put the trust in other people, and God forbid for them to make a mistake. And that happens even. You never even, know. There's people that do horrible things intentionally, but when it, I mean, there's been many yeah. cases where doctors have messed up. And not intentional. I mean, obviously they're just doing their job, and they, you know, made a wrong incision or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I know a bunch yeah. of people that became disabled because of surgeries. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, what you're, what you were like witnessing or what you were becoming and like you were, your inner strength was coming on there. That's always been something that's been recorded with women, especially with, you know, with mothers, because, you know, you'll hear a story where it's like if their baby's underneath the car, the mom can lift it, even though they have no way of yeah. being able to lift the car in general. It's just when it's that fight or flight, you know, mentality and, um, and mm -hmm. in, in those cases, you're seeing your son have to go through something and you could run if you want and you can go hide and maybe, you know, leave and go get some lunch. But you're, I mean, part of you is kind of turning off certain senses. So you're, you're in a way kind of numb to what's going on, but you're, you're just, you're also locked in and, and you know, cause as soon as you hear, oh, your son's out of yeah. surgery, you're, you're up and ready to go. It's not like you can't hear anything. You're just, you're, you're blocking out all your other emotions and, you know, you're just showing like pure strength, stuff that he can't really possess at this point in time because he's only five or whatever age he was when he's getting these surgeries, especially when he's an infant. Um, so you you have to be his strength and, and, and everything else. Um, but it's got to be hard, especially when, you know, you have to like try to convince a five-year-old who also has this just, you know, brain injury or this, you know, this, this disability or condition where you have to explain to him, like, look, this is for your own good. And even if he was an adult, 
he might, he, I mean, I'm sure he would understand, but you know, you'd have to explain it a certain way. But the fact that he's a five year old and you're saying here, these guys are going to take care of these guys you don't know in these, you know, strange lab coats and, you know, and, and, and it's like, he's probably petrified because it's like, and then he starts thinking like, why would my mom give me to these people? And then of course, eventually you time travel because you pass out and you wake up an hour later and it feels like you've been asleep for five minutes. Um, but it's, it's gotta be hard even just, like I said, I'm just looking at it from your perspective of just as a mom who has to, you know, watch this happen. You have to, you know, you have to just be locked in and just say, all right, you know, you have to kind of turn off. Like I said, you have to turn off certain things. So you're just, you can't have certain emotions because otherwise you're going to start criticizing every move you make. Cause then it's like, you might want to go run down the hallway and go, no, bring me back my baby. I don't want to do it now. Like you have to turn that off because <laughs> you know, like you, you could save his life right now, but if you, turn it down you might not you might screw up his life even more so you have to you have to make decisions that are very very tough for an infant so i mean it's kudos to like yeah and parents mm -hmm. and um one fantastic thing that happened and i will share here uh how i experienced it with my son is you know most of the surgeries were between three months and a half and two years old. So he was, he wasn't old enough to actually understand what's going on, ask and, and all of that. So, uh, and he was a very pretty quiet and, you know, such a, like a nice kid and, and all of that. There are many things that have happened thanks to him or through him um, in those years. One is one moment that I remember is the first surgery or the second, I don't I think the second one, he had, you know, he had bloating after because of the anesthetic, and he had, he was in so much pain, he could not sleep, so the only thing that helped him was me standing up and holding him next to his bed, he has all the, all the tubes and all that, so hold him and sing to him, he hold him, you know, at, at my heart, and sing to him, and just stay there, so Thankfully, he fell asleep after many hours, but 24 hours, I, I remember that I, I think I almost stood up 24 hours continuously so I can hold my son. Uh, and he gave me that strength, you know, just right, yeah. the love I have for him. Yeah. Right. And the other, the other part, after that, so after that, the more, the more experiences he had, the funny part was that, especially the last surgery was so cute. He uh, would uh, <laughs> have the surgery, and you know, it takes a while before you wake up. You wake up, and then you have to wait until you drink, you eat, you whatever, because you, you might throw up and all that, right? So, what he did is he would wake up, and shortly after, and the last one, like four hours after, he started eating a banana and run. And you know, because you've been to surgeries, this is not something you usually do. <laughs> You really stay there for four hours, right? But no, the fourth one, he was like, I'm hungry. Uh, he was fine. No temperature, no nothing. You know, he ate a banana. And off he went. He was <laughs> I like, of course, the doctors let him go. But it's, it's this idea of, wow, you know, how resilient. And this is the reason why before we started this conversation, I told you today that you, our children, become our hero you know he's my hero 
He's the one who taught me resilience. He's the one who taught me innocence is strength. He's the one who taught me that the heart and love matter more than anything. And he has, oh my gosh, he has so much trust in me. That's why I say it's a huge responsibility because he gave his life to me. You know what I mean? Like his life was in my hands. He's, whenever we need an MRI, we had two choices. Either he would stay put, not move, so they can take the right pictures, right? Or he would need some kind of anesthetic, uh, either through the nose or, um, uh, you know, that IV thing. So I wanted to avoid the IV. I always tried to talk to him and help him. So first time with this, first two, two, three times with the IV, and then just through the nose, and he was just a bit calm and all of that. I was there. They allowed me to stay there, protected, to stay in the room, uh, you know, with um, tomography and all that. So, and then the last time, it was fantastic, you know. That's why I say he's my hero. One of the things he did is he looked at the MRI, and it looked like a spaceship. Um, and then I got an idea, and I said, hey, this looks like a spaceship. If you put this helmet on, you're going to have that feeling when the astronauts put their suit and they, you know, they go through that thing, you know, and so I just made up a story. He was comfortable with that story and he played along. It was fun for him. So no anesthetic at all, no, nothing inside his body. He stayed quiet and all of that. And this is how we did it. Of course, he was older, but like five, six years old. Yeah. But we managed because he trusted me and he played along. Right. No, I think he definitely taught you a lot of things, but I also think there were some of those qualities that were in you. They were just, you know, in a slumber where it was like it took him to wake all that up. Um, because if you didn't have it, like you, I don't, some of those qualities you can't just have, like you can't just earn it. You can't buy those qualities. Like you either have it or you don't. And, and when you saw your son in the worst state possible, you rushed right to do whatever it took to help him. Um, and I don't, I, yes, he, he may have helped it along, but I don't, I think you might've, ha- you know, I think you're, you're being a little more humble than you need to, because like, I think you, you had it the whole time. It's just, it took seeing him like that for that to come out of you. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you said it and I didn't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, the- because I seen it with my mom too. My mom didn't, did, did, I mean, quickly, is he your oldest, youngest, middle child? You say you have three kids. Sorry, can you say again? Uh, is, uh, is you have three kids. Is he your oldest, the middle? Is he the youngest? Uh, I would not want people to identify him yet. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, the, only reason so let's, let's, I, the only reason I was he's asking... He's old enough now. To, yeah. I, no, I meant as, as far as within the or your other child, children... Is he your first child, your last child, the middle child? I don't care how old he is. Uh, well, if I say that, people will realize. <laughs> well, he's... I, I never asked permission from him to talk a lot about him, so that's why I avoid some... I, I'm sure I will never be able to avoid it completely because people will figure it out. Well, yeah, he's the oldest. Okay. No, no. He's, he's the oldest. Okay. Yeah. 
So he's your, so he's your, <laughs> he's your first child. Yeah. No, and the reason I was asking yeah. is so you didn't even have any other examples of, of having kids until him. And that's the same no. way with, with my no. mother as well. Like, you know, she ended up having my sister later down six years later, but you know, so she didn't, she didn't really know what she was getting herself into. I mean, she was having, I mean, difference with him and me is I wasn't born with it. Mine happened when I was four, but still, I mean, it's not that far off. And you know, when you see someone have to watch their child in agonizing pain, and even just like you, you have those images that are stained in your mind of him in those tubes, you know, whatever, whatever it is that he was, you know, whatever's bandages or, or whatever he was in, just in those, the, the gown and in the bed, those pictures, you're never going to be able to get out of your head really. And, you know, when it came to, um, you know, seeing him like that, you just jumped right on board and said, let's do what we got to do. And, so, I mean, like I said, I think he just enhanced what qualities you already have. But he obviously is definitely a hero to you. And he's, he's you know, helped you to uh, develop other qualities. But I think when it comes to just strictly just being resilient and, and doing your duty as a mother, like, that's just there. And I think, because like I said, my mother was the same way. And I, I, I know I helped her and I inspired her and all that. But I think she had some of those qualities deep down. She just, it took a tragedy for it to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know what they, I don't know if you know what they say about mothers, but what I heard when I was pregnant with my first child, which is with him, I heard this, that once a woman becomes a mother, there's a very, very huge instinct rising, which is that lioness. Yeah, yeah. In her. And the moment she feels her child in front of her at her chest, she becomes the 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 best shield and the a very protective human being for another human being. So it was true. I felt that especially once I saw that little man. And it happened with every child. And the more children I have, the well, I, I will stop at three. But the you know, the more children I have, the the stronger and the better the shield started to become. And mm-hmm. and they know that they feel that. I actually told them that <laughs> in my own way. It's it's a transformation you're going through. Like you say, you may have some traits in there. You may have some things inside you. Those gifts wake up, especially under certain circumstances. And for some of us, it's a traumatic circumstance. For others, could be both traumatic and something that brings a lot of joy and love and beautiful stuff. You know, yeah. uh, it has happened to me many times in life, whether it was birthing uh, or going through seeing, taking my son to surgeries or, um, you know, those were lots of examples. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, you, you see it many times also where, People run. People don't put in the same effort that you did. So, I mean, not everybody has that quality that can be, you know, turned on because um, they just don't have it. Whatever whatever was passed down from their gene pool or whatever trauma in their life made them, you know, just deactivated whatever quality you have or they just never officially had it. Um, when you, when you had him, did you ever consider not having any more kids just because of what he had to go through and you knew his life wasn't going to be easy and you know would you want to put your another kid through that and i mean of course you don't know if that's going to happen but you know it is traumatic and it can put some you know ptsd on you where it's like oh man i don't want another kid to go through something similar 
in your and in in your question, something's uh, triggered um, multiple responses, and one of the things is oddly enough, no, like the right after uh, after seeing that he's stable and he can grow up nicely and he just had some challenges for a while and then uh, the challenges became smaller and different in the same time. His father and I actually decided and wanted for him to have somebody with him. So we actually wanted to conceive another child to be able to have, so he can have a friend, uh, a support in life, somebody who can uh, be there for him. And we actually, I'm an only, I'm an only child, you know, I, he, his father has, uh, five siblings. So <laughs> we come, his father and I come from different perspectives, right? I knew I wanted to have a sister after I was alone and lived so many years alone. I, I realized I, I wish I had a sister or a brother and he had enough. So he knew <laughs> how it's like. And I said, yeah, I want I want more. So uh, three years and a half, his brother was born. Three years and a half later, uh, his brother was born. And I mean, later after him. And um, the other thing is, you can say, and and trust me, it's okay if you or anybody else could think of this. Like, you can think like, don't you know that, that this is a genetic stuff? Like, anybody in your family could have it again. And why would you have more kids like this is a risk you have taken. And I'm thinking, yes, we actually took a risk uh, without even knowing uh, as much as I know now about this disorder. And, you know, you can say luckily, or you can say this is how life was. Our wish was fulfilled with a son who, as far as we know from, um, from birth, has a full brain. Now, we cannot guarantee because he did not do MRIs and I don't remember if we did something special for the brain. I think it was okay. As far as I know, you know, before birth, we did those scans and it was okay. But, or ultrasounds. But uh, after that, we don't know if something happened. So, it is a risk we took and it was really worth it because it showed us what an amazing gift brotherhood brings. Yeah. And it helps both of them very, very much. It had, it also brought some things nobody wanted to happen. Like, you know, those uh, things that happen between siblings and all of that. Like everybody wants love and harmony. I don't think everybody intentionally wants to do something that is not okay. But everything that happened, everything that happened helped both of them. And I trusted Again, you can say I'm crazy, I was crazy or irresponsible, but I trusted that the third child would be okay also. I somehow knew that he is in my life to teach me something. As much as I teach him, he's also teaching me. And I knew that uh, it would be okay. Yeah. And it was. Well, and you have this strong bond between, you know, obviously you and your husband and you know, obviously your first child and, and you have just like, you know, obviously all the qualities that you and your husband took from your son, you could pass down onto them and, you know, yeah, nothing's going to be perfect. I mean, there, you know, there's always this whole white picket fence thing, like especially here in America, it's like it's the American dream to do this and do that. But there's so many things they leave out what you have to deal with. Um, and, yeah. and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, 
you know, he just took a leap of fate and just said, I'm going to go with it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you yeah. you can't be a, that's a thing. And we live in a time now with all the COVID stuff where everyone's just afraid of everything. And mm-hmm. you have to, at some point you have to just show true strength. You're going to be tested at some point and, and it's going to show who your character is when those times come along. Can you stand yeah. up and fight? And if you can't, and it doesn't mean physically, but just in general, you're going to have to fight for something in your life. And if you can't do it, then, I mean, you know, that's why they always say the strong survive. Um, And so, you know, yeah. Was it the best idea to have another kid? I don't know. I don't have kids and and you're, you're, you're the mother. You're the, you had the feeling Um, you and your husband trusted it. And and worst case scenario, your son would have had, you know, a similar condition or something else well he's going into a household that's going to accept him and love him for who he is anyway so he's going to the right place um so yeah i mean who's to say how you did it was right or wrong i mean obviously it turned out right now in hindsight but i mean in the beginning who knows but you made the right decision so who cares yeah see with with uh, connecting with what you said earlier um i saw parents who did not treat their children well. And the parents that I saw were the children that were not were malnourished or were left in a hospital for others to care about them. Those were people, like you said, they had trauma. They had their own issues. Like, they were not able, honestly. They were not mentally, emotionally, financially able to take care of them. And I know the first thing that comes to uh, the mind of many of us is, is judgment and saying, why are you so irresponsible of having kids knowing that your situation? And like, well, it's because first of all, people are not aware. And there are many who have mental issues, you know, brain issues, uh, where they cannot connect the information. They cannot be aware of their reality. So how can we ask of such a person to uh, be responsible when they actually haven't found a way to deal with their own stuff? You know, that's one thing. And um, the other is, you know, we cannot predict decisions we are going to make and all that. And we cannot control, and, and I don't think we should ever control what kind of child we're going to have when we love uh, a partner and we, we decide to go deeper, you know, in the relationship and something happens. That child is one way or another. And it is up to us to decide whether we can continue the journey or not. And honestly, I, I hear here, here in uh, North America, I, I've heard many being, um, you know, I would say, I wouldn't say invited, I would say even pressured by the medical team to give up a child to abort a child just because somehow through the test and all of that, the child is not normal, has some kind of disability, some kind of malformations or anything, right? Mm-hmm. Which that seems horrible for me. Why, why do that? Never ever in my case has anyone asked us such a thing like I had amazing doctors and even if the conditions there in the first hospital I was were not you know the highest level but I had amazing doctors with a heart nobody ever said you should have 
that are on well we also did something to stay away from doctors for a long time so we don't have their pressure <laughs> but, um when we when we found somebody we could trust uh they simply just okay so we're gonna do this we're gonna help you and <laughs> you know that's it. so i was i gave birth um without being pressured yeah. so i have a lot of empathy and compassion because I, I stayed seven days in ICU in a children's hospital in Romania. And I saw a lot. I saw so much that I say that if there are selfish people in the world, I recommend them to stay seven days in an ICU uh, inside a children's hospital. Of course, they will never allow it. But I'm saying, like, this would be a nice experience because in seven days where all the machines yelling and you know beeping and all of that and kids crying of horrible pain uh that you might be very familiar with um that being in that space really gives you a lot of humbleness makes you feel humble like oh my god my the things that i'm going through are nothing absolutely nothing compared to what these kids and their families are going through and also the the nurses and the whole medical team who will love them and it's very hard for them to to do their work, um, seeing so much pain. Yeah, no, and that's but it's it's great that you see. That's another quality that you have is you have empathy, and and you can pick it. You see when someone's going through something, and you can relate it to your situation, and just realize it's not that bad. You know, I told you I can yeah. do that, and my situation is way worse than yours. There's people that are way worse mm-hmm. than me. It's just a fact. I, there's not many people because you know percentage wise. But I've been through hell and I'm, I'm still standing and I can still tell my story and try to help others. But there are people that are just have it worse off than me. And so my goal is not to just shun them yep. away. It's to, you know, tell their stories and, and help each other. Cause, and again, it's not, a, it's not a competition thing either. But when you see someone who's going through something at the time and you realize like you have it good, even if you don't have it great, but you have it better than that person, it's like, wow, like... I need to stop complaining as much, at least in this, at least about whatever I, I am complaining about this moment, because it could be way worse. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, but it's good that yeah. you can highlight that and just, you could just pick up on it. Cause you know, like I said, there's so many, there's so much bad going on out here. And you know, like I said, it's, it's one of the things that I've learned from this stupid pandemic of just being able to check on, on everybody and make sure everybody's okay. And, you know, take a little time out of my time just to even just people like you, like people I've just met and become friends with. And I just go like, hey, like, you know, are you doing OK? Because, you know, a lot of people aren't. And you got to you got to care. You just do. And they don't have to be, you know, family or, you know, related or, or just people that you love dearly. But just someone maybe it's someone you was your former, you know, teacher or counselor or something. You just say, hey, are you OK? Because that might not be. But that that asking of you know, are you all right may help them because maybe you're the only person that asked. And so, uh, yeah, but it's good that you mm-hmm. can, uh, pick up on that stuff. Um, what, what was like one of your, what was like one of your biggest worries? Like after some of these surgeries and, you know, he's like five years old and so on, like what was some of your biggest worries like for down the road? Like whether it's like going to school or just like what, what were some of the things you were predicting in his life that you would be, you would predeem to be like really hard on him? Well, after he was born, nobody knew the way things would go because it was too soon 
and every case is unique. Years after, once we saw how the brain developed, where he needed surgeries and why and all of that, and it was a simple thing, but you know, it's, it's a surgery, so it is what it is. The neurosurgeon in Romania told us that he might, might, might have issues with logic, reasoning, math skills. This was the, because of the areas he saw were affected. Other stuff, nobody knew. Like the rest, it was, I needed to speak to somebody else. So I was expecting some issues. And to answer your question to the point, I was, I was worried in the beginning, but then I learned what to do about it. I was worried that um, he would be a, a longer term, much more affected than we can see in the moment. Right. Oh, so you didn't you Which, didn't know if this was going to be something that was going to go through his entire life? Yeah, like nobody could tell us what would be partial, what would be temporary, what would, right. would be forever. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. What I did to work with this worry was to educate myself. So thanks to some people I knew back then, I learned that the brain can regenerate. There are extraordinary cases, and there are ways in which the brain can be helped. So I started uh, looking at nutrition, therapies, ways of stimulating, changing his environment, finding tools and ways and anything that could help him um, be stimulated and help his brain grow in, in different ways so that I can be sure that even if I cannot do everything he needs, at least I do the basic stuff and I do enough to start a different journey for him. Hmm. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Which happened by the way. Yeah. Really happened. Okay. Yeah. No, like I said, I just, I know parents, especially like I know school was something my mom was really worried about with me because, you know, my eyes were so sensitive to light and everything, and I was just so shy and afraid of everything. Like, I wasn't like that before the the disease that hit me, but after, like, I my, my whole character just changed, and I was afraid of everything. And so it was very hard for me to, you know, associate with other kids and just, um, you know, and that's where some of the bullying and all that came in. But a lot of the, her fears actually came true, but, you know, she was worried about a lot of different things, but you know, unfortunately, um, a lot of them came true for me, but I mean, I know parents worry about stuff like that because unfortunately in this world, if you have something that's different now, again, it doesn't even have to be a disability. It could be, you have a weird last name. Um, but you know, if you have something that stands out, that's so obvious that makes you a little different, maybe when you're like in kindergarten, maybe you can get away with it because kids find certain things cool that, Others don't, like adults, or, or, or I should say teenagers don't. But, um, but yeah, if you stand out in school, especially high school, it can be really, really rough. This is one of the things that I thought about since he was very young. So what I, and this is the second kind of worry that I had. The first worry was the physical one. How will he be affected? In which way, which aspects of his life? This was the first worry. The second worry came the older he became because I knew in Romanian schools, he would have been bullied. The pacing would be too fast for him to catch up. He, and I saw his vulnerabilities 
and I also knew his strengths. So what I did is something unusual in Romania back then. I don't know now, but um, in like 10 years or something ago, I started educating myself about early learning and I used tools from outside Romania and I started homeschooling him. So I used a program for piano, software for learning how to play piano, which is very good for kids, software to Mozart. I used uh, the Doman method from the Institute of uh, Achievement, the high, uh, high human potential, sorry, in Philadelphia, um, and helped his body and helped him with uh, bringing information in different ways into his brain. I gave him lots of tools that I could find or make so that he has a rich environment. That was one of the things. And then how I protected him was to, uh, I wouldn't say keep him at home, because trust me, I say home education, I don't say homeschooling. Home education for me means I am formally and informally educating my child at home while taking the child with me in the world and help him socialize, make friends, meet people of different ages, different races, different you know nationalities, and like seeing the world with him while he's educated by me. This is for me home education. So that's exactly what I did. We went outside, met friends, we played. We like his life has been more outside than inside. Uh, Actually, we didn't do much. We didn't need to do much because the lessons are very short and with the methods that I've I've learned and used. And he had his uh, grandfather there a lot of time with him. So we had lots of friends, kids. Like I met moms with, with their children in the parks and we would have friendship relationships and you know do all the stuff I did that in Romania I did that in Canada the thing that made me continue educating him at home still is the increased bullying environment and especially here in Canada is different like in Romania there is bullying but it's a like I wouldn't say different kind I would say not as much or at least back then, wasn't as much. It's, it would be in a different way. And you mentioned about when do you see, like, when would you see some differences between children? When in his case, he had a year, one single year in kindergarten, in a private kindergarten, and I could see that he was different, like, clearly. It was so obvious uh, that my heart was, was crying, and I, I was like, I'm not going to put my kid again. And, and it was not because of the environment. They were so good with him. They were loving. They oh, were right. special. Like everybody was extraordinary. It was that mass education did not work for him. So what I did, and I tested it out afterwards, and I, that was my final proof with his father and with everybody else who had even a doubt that uh, homeschooling was not for him or, you know, um, a doubt that it was for him. Like, oh, it's not for him. Okay. I proved to them one month. After he finished kindergarten, I studied with him at home and teaching him writing. And in a single month, he was writing so nice, so well. He knew all the letters in the alphabet and all that. So he made huge progress in a single month because his mother took time and courage and challenged herself and said, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove that I know what's best for my son. And I did it. And I kept doing it. Um, you know, one reason that I contacted you for your podcast is because I became 
thanks to my circumstances, an advocate for my children. All my children, doesn't matter if it's him with some things inside his brain or somebody else. No, for all my children and other children and an advocate for freedom of education, like educate your child the way you know best. And of course, hopefully you can prove it. Like you really take care of your child. You're not <laughs> doing your responsible parent, but trusting in, in parents that they are responsible, trusting that a mother, especially, and also a father know what's best for this child. And I proved it in 2016. I remember there was an organization working with the ministry of education who was traveling uh, all over Romania and they asked parents, what do they think about homeschooling? So uh, a group of homeschoolers among, and I was among them, we talked to them and I said, look, my, my second son was three back then. My second son is three years old and I know somebody who is a musician who tested him and he has perfect and relative pitch. And, and also my first son has, so, which is this special boy, has perfect pitch. And you don't get perfect pitch in school with the training you get in school uh, related to music education, right? But I got it because I used, or they had it, because I used those tools with them since they were young. The youngest one, actually, since they were very young. So I proved to them, I said, who in this world, in a private or, in, or uh, in a public institution in Romania, would be able to teach their child to read in English and Romanian at one year old and a half? My second son did that. At one year old and a half, he was teaching, he was reading in English and Romanian sentences, not words, sentences, like children books, okay? Mm. And the, um, the oldest one... Uh, already was familiar with English, Spanish, uh, as I said before, multiple languages, both of them. So it's like, I can give you lots of examples. Right. We parents, we become a force in the world when we believe in our children, when we connect with our children to a deep level, and when we trust our love, our instincts, our intuition, our gut. Even if we are not highly educated, even if we don't, are not experts in education, even if we are not uh, psychologists, even if we don't have all those um, <clears throat> trainings that normally those who take care of children have, we parents have all the things we need to become the best advocate supporters, <clears throat> cheerleaders, guides, and friends. For our children and everybody who is outside our family, psychologists, neurologists, neurosurgeons, should take our opinion into account because we are living with you, with our children, every single day, twenty four seven. Right. Um, before you, you go know? on, because you, you said yeah. a lot, so I have like three or four comments here. Uh, uh, um, but no, sure. I think what you're doing, like your dedication, is very commendable because it's, it's very sweet what you're doing, and it, it's obviously well needed. Um, but, uh, two other things that you said, um, as far as like when you saw your kid in, in, in kindergarten, like it, it is a real jarring and it's something we've talked about many times on here is when, when a kid realizes that he's different, it's one thing for the parent to notice it, but it's another thing for the kid because you, you, you know, your parents are very, especially at that age, you're very protective and you're like, okay, we love you. You're handsome. Like everything about you is great. 
and you feel like on top mm-hmm. of the world and then you go into the real world and you see how other people could treat you and then they you realize they're treating you. and again people get bullied for more than just their disability but when you have something like i said that stands out it's like oh i have something to pick on you about because it's all about not being like the one like the bottom of the barrel kid in the class you don't want to be the nerd or whatever it is that people perceive to be as the low end kid um uh, so yeah, it's very jarring when you see a kid that actually starts to realize like, oh, like this, like I don't belong here, um, which can also translate to the rest of world, the world as well. Um, but the fact that you protected him so much is a good thing. Um, and the last thing you said way back when was when you were talking about how you did protect him in um, educating him at home. For me, how I got through it, I didn't get any homeschooling, even though there was a part of me that really wanted it because of the bullying and because of how different I felt. Um, but like for like SATs and, and, and just certain standardized tests, standardized tests like that, um, they I would go into like a conference room and I would do I would get special like I get like extra time, so I would get maybe like another hour or two. Um, and I could just go in a room and work by myself and I would have like a device that would blow up the, the the print. Um, and so I would just get extra time because I would get frustrated and, um, you know, not being able to see it properly and all that. And it would just, it would take me away from being away from other kids so that I didn't have to feel the pressure of having to force my eyes or do something that would make me stand out. Um, but I didn't do anything from home. Um, but that was the way like my mom and, and, and the certain teachers that looked out for me, that's how they protected me uh, from certain, you know, pending dooms when it comes to how it would really affect me. Um, and again, like I said, I still went through a lot, but that was how I was protected in, in the education system for um, with my eyes because, like I said, it, it wasn't easy. <clears throat> well, um, in our case, my son, although he was not educated at school, um, he did get that. Um, people in the neighborhood, kids in the neighborhood, you know, and, he, um, and even adults, like I had to tell my friends, I didn't want to tell my anybody, you know, I just wanted them to see him as a normal child. But I was aware that some things in his behavior, some things in his the way he's thinking and all that needed explanation. Mm-hmm. So people become tolerant, pay attention, and also help their children understand certain things like, you know, and he, it is frustrating for the child. It is frustrating to have a good heart and to have one thing in your brain and then a good thing in your heart and then see how people are mistreating you or misunderstanding or simply have a bad intention where you had none. You know, like you're simply, you just are. (laughs) And this has been going on and I'm sure it's not going to end. This is something in his reality and it's something he needs to learn how to cope. And this is part of his emotional intelligence of his, you know, mental and social development and any, all of of the aspects of his life. And I'm sure he will know how to manage everything because how I see it from 
my perspective, knowing him and his development. And it's something that I've heard from other people too. They, they notice the same thing about him. And it's also something that we can notice in other people, which is it takes a while for the brain, the body and everything to catch up. So for him and others, it takes two or maybe more years, depending on what we're talking about to actually get to the level that would be normal for, I would say not his age, but somebody closer to his age, like younger. So it's like, you can say, oh, he's, uh, so he is, what would you say uh, in English? Um, so like if he, like he's if, behind? Yeah, so like if he was, yeah. if so, he was, let's say 18, he would have like a 16 year old mentality? Yeah, so he would say, oh, he's behind. And, and I'm saying, no, he's not behind his brain needs to catch up. It's his brain who needs to be in the developmental stage where he can make, where the brain can make all these connections all together. When the, the body is changing in a way, the brain needs to adapt connections and all of that. And then, the, you, like you say, you have social pressure, you have some uh, information from the environment. And, and like there's so many things going on in the same time for a single human. It takes a while until the whole being can process, integrate, change, adapt, and, and, and all of that, you know. And we're doing our best, uh, me and my current husband and his grandfather and uh, his father and uh, everybody around him. We are doing our best to support him. It's just some things we cannot do. It's going to take time. We need everybody needs patience, especially him. <clears throat> Especially yeah. him, you know, and in, and in this case, the best thing any parent can do is to uh, bring that love, the faith and the trust that and the vision we have for our children to bring it to them, remind them what who they are in the moment and what they can become and hold that vision and challenge them, support them, hold them, love them, whatever they need in the moment. So they can keep going, keep going until they reach the level where they can be okay, okay with themselves and, yeah. you know, have that feeling of, I can do this. Yeah. I mean, obviously some of the bigger worries down the road are, are just working and dating and all these other things yes. that come. But, Independence all the way. Yeah. You, yeah. But you got it. You have to let, you have to let life kick them around a little bit because it's going to kick them around regardless if you had a disability or not. It's just, it's going to be harder yeah. for them. But if he can find, I mean, yeah. but he has this, you know, he has this safe zone. He has his family that he can come back to, to make him feel good about himself. Um, and so I, I don't think, again, the only thing I would say you would have to really, really worry about is, is like depression, like mental health and how that could in, impact him. Because when you have a disability, it's a give and take that you're going to have that. Um, and so you, you have to, because again, feeling different and because life kicks you down it just, it's all about how you respond to it and how you get back, you know, do you, how fast can you get back up? And if it takes you a while, and of course, early on, it probably takes you a while because you're not used to this, but um, yeah, there's only so much protecting you can do for him to the point where like, if you protect him forever, he's never going to learn and he has to learn to make bad decisions. He has to learn how life can treat him because if you protect him from and just show him nothing but good, He's going to think everyone's like that. He's going to think everyone's like his mother. And that is 
the furthest thing from the truth. There's way less people like you than you think. And, you know, not that there's not good people out there, but he has to see everything. Um, no matter how long it takes him to figure it all out, it is what it is, but you have to also let him fail. Um, but again, like I said, as long as he has this, this safe zone of his family, he, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, and I um, I need to add some things here. One, I am not a helicopter mom. I'm not saying you said this. I'm just saying to add to what you said mm -hmm. that I choose I chose to protect my son, but I have a limit in my protection. I am not a helicopter mom. I chose to protect him in certain ways, but bring him into the world. And while I am there, I was not there all the time. I, I was there up to a point, but after a certain age, I said, "Go and play." <laughs> I don't. There, yeah, I don't. I, I don't mingle with you. Yeah. Like, and and even when he was like two, three years old, I would be far away, close enough to see him, but far away not to mingle in the kids' game. And I'm not. You know, I want to. I want to give him independence, and that means putting your child at, at some risk—the risk of being bullied, the risk of getting hurt you know like i risked even with me being there he was hit by other kids you know so i'm that's why i'm saying i'm i have not always protected him because i wanted him to develop independently that's one thing the other thing is i am not a perfect mom i am not a perfect mom i am a mom who went through a lot of stuff i had suicidal thoughts twice in my life it was very, very hard for a number of years to take care of both my sons without having a man or a help in my life. I only had uh, help from my father um, for, for some years and was excruciating pain, like really painful mentally and emotionally to go through a lot of stuff with both my children, one with surgeries and the other one with his tantrum and, and other stuff, normal or not. Uh, for his age, you know, like lots of stuff, um, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know. Mm -hmm. So I needed time to overcome certain things, to change myself and become better and better and better. And my child, that what I'm saying is, he had in his own family the imperfection, yeah. the challenges and the issues and uh, all the things that, happen just because we are humans and we make mistakes and he knows and we grow together. So he was not protected from um, mental and especially emotional things because I'm an emotional person. I, I used to be very emotional. I, I would go through a lot of things and, and all of that. So he, he was not protected in that sense. I protected him from the outside world in a way up to a point. Gotcha. But inside, it was what it was. So, and the main thing that I always um, highlighted in the education of my children, especially because I needed to work on it, but also for their own health, for the future and their independence, was something that you mentioned. I will just put it in another way self regulation and emotional training and emotional intelligence. Because what you mentioned, that ability, of, that we all need to have when we go into the world. It's called self-regulation, the ability to shift in the moment to acknowledge what you're going through and then find a way to get out of it so that you don't stay too long and get to the depression, suicide, 
and anger that hurts somebody or all of that, you know? So we have these discussions. I'm emotional training is part of what I do. And I walk through with different things. So I try to see which ways, which tools, which, which things could help him. So what I'm doing is like a holistic type of education where we take care of the body, the mind, the soul, the heart, the emotions and everything so that he can grow in all these aspects. And um, this is most of the, if you want the protection that I had and still have with him is making sure he has the tools he needs. So when whatever happens with his inside, his family outside, he can cope and he can be okay and not get to um, a tough level, tough yeah. level inside, you know, like in terms of pressure. Yeah, no, I appreciate everything you just said. And yeah, I think you're giving him a balance of tough love and love at the same time. And it's, it's good because that's what you need. And, I'm, and I've said this about my mother and I, I wasn't trying to disparage her or put her down, but I think for a while she gave me too much love because <laughs> when, when life, when love, or excuse me, when life did hit me, I took it much harder than I could should have because I didn't have much tough love. Um, and I just thought everything was just like supposed to go my way and it, it didn't. Um, it didn't at all. And so it, it shocked me and it was very jarring. Um, so do, do you have like a website or, or how people can reach you and, and, you know, you know, not only learn about more about the story, but also like what you're doing for, for kids like your son. Yeah. Well, uh, before I say about me, I really invite everyone listening now. Um, if you liked our conversation and how TJ is uh, sharing and is getting all these nuggets from the conversations he has with other people, please leave him uh, a review, some words, what you liked and which episode so he knows. And um, I'm sure it will touch his heart. And about me, I don't share much about the story with my son because now I'm focused on uh, inspiring women and empower, co-empowering women. Okay. And my website is andreaputrut.ca, Putrut with P-T-R-U-T. And, you know, even if you're not a woman, if you're listening now and you're not a woman, I invite you, if you ever need help, support with something. There is something that you want to dive deeper into from what you heard from my conversation with DJ. You can always, you have there my contact, hello, at andreaputrut.ca. You can write me an email. I will be happy to support you and serve you if I can. And if not, I know a lot of people, just like TJ knows a lot of people, we can help each other and becoming stronger and facing the challenges um, we're all going through right now, which are very diverse. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Um, what about your podcast? You want to promote that? Well, uh, you will be a guest on, on my podcast, which is Healing Through Oneness. You can find it on Spotify and Apple Apple Podcasts. It's a podcast where, almost like you are doing, just from a different uh, point of view, uh, there's a diversity of people coming who inspire us and show us what is possible so we can have more hope. It's like you're bringing hope in your way. I'm trying to bring change makers, whether big or small, who do something that inspire others, change something in com their communities, their families, societies, whatever, through their own way by using their gift. And which is what I hope everybody listening here is going to do. Like, know your gifts and use them. Like TJ is using now, you know, he has some gifts and he shows us uh, those gifts 
in the interviews for sure. I, I've noticed some. You're really good at this. So <laughs> uh, be inspired and I hope this conversation really helps you. Thank you, CJ. This was um, really a huge learning moment for me. And um, yeah, hope to see you or hear of you soon. Oh, I'm not going to lose touch with you. I mean, like I said, you want me to be on your show? Absolutely, I will. And, you know, we could support each other and any help I can give you, any advice or, you know, I'll, I'll, I might need you for something. So, um, but yeah, no, like I said, it, it's it's great that you're doing what you're doing. You know, we need more people like you that are pushing the envelope and getting the information out there. And again, like the things that you're instilling in your child maybe he can instill in, in whenever he decides to want to have kids or um, or just his friends or anybody like because it's it can be very infectious and you can again it's all about putting some good energy into this crazy dark world we live in there's so much bad going on but you know we focus so much on that because it is so bad but if we just continue to try to do some good and again it, it sounds hokey and corny and whatever but it's true like you, you have to the, continue to try to help and leave some good part of you here um or otherwise the generations and the you know your kids and, and their kids and so on they're going to be left with nothing or left with just horrible just uh, just a horrible world and it, it feels like it's getting worse and i don't know it's just because we've been in this pandemic for so long or what um but like i said yeah you're one of those people that are like well needed and you know Again, you're tackling it from a different angle, and that's that's okay. We need we need to come at it from every angle, not just one or two different angles. Yeah, and I would say in closing that we need each other, and we are all precious. This is what I keep saying to everybody: we are all precious. We all have our gifts. Doesn't matter which kind of disability or ability we have, we matter. Our voice matters. Our individuality and identity is special, is unique. Mm -hmm. We have gifts that once used in the world, this world is getting better and better day by day. So yeah. we need you, those listening now. Absolutely. Didn't I tell you, though, it would come out naturally? We just talk and then just it ends up wherever it ends up? I, I tried to tell you, just just trust me a little bit. <laughs> I told you'd come out alright. Um, before before we uh, before we go, um, like, what kind of interests and things are your son? Is he looking into? Like, is there something he wants to be when he gets to wherever he needs to get to to be able to achieve it? Does this go into recording? <laughs> yeah, we're still in it. I, I just again, I know you, you're trying to keep him. <laughs> Under wrap, but I'm saying is like, is he showing interest in some things? You don't even have to say what it is, but is he showing interest in some things where you you feel like he would be perfect for? Okay, so you're gonna edit the part where I ask you because uh, it, it yeah, and this part too with the uh, what my son is interested in is something I believe is extraordinary, which is conservation and help nature conservation and helping people with disabilities. Oh, there you go. He has amazing, yeah, and he has amazing projects, and I want to support him. So I am guiding him now uh, and throughout the years, from, or from now on, because now he's ready for this next step of learning about it. I'm guiding him to learn 
all the things he needs to know so he can get to the level of having his own company, his own um, enterprise, and his own organization and all of that. Of course, it's going to take a while, but we're making step-by-step, step-by-step, according to his level of, you know, time given, abilities, facing, brain, and other stuff all, all at once, so that he's ready when the time comes for the bigger step, which is really take action and, and do it. So um, I cannot share details again. I did not ask his permission, but oh, you're fine. You're all just, the yeah. things he wants, yeah, all the things he wants to do are perfectly for are perfect for his heart he is he is an amazing young man with a very beautiful heart he loves humans he loves animals he loves nature and i know he's one of the young those in the younger generation who can bring a change and i want to support him not just because i'm his mother but because i believe in his dreams and i know despite everything he can do something about it and he will do something about it because my promise to him and all my children is that I will make sure that by the time they are 17, they are able to support themselves, to have independence and fulfill their dreams, at least start fulfilling their dreams. Yeah. So okay. he is uh, some years to that goal, some years, he still has some years before that goal of mine, but um it is in the making oh that's great yeah no that sounds like something i think he'll be able to well i think he'll be able to overcome it and achieve it just because he's got you in his corner and um but yeah no i thank you for for coming on i enjoy your your just positive energy and just your your feistiness to to fight for your child and just to uh do what you do and like i said it's very powerful so i thank you for coming on Thank you for for uh, accepting <laughs> my uh, my call. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. It's great having you on. Like I said, you're well needed, and so uh, I mean, like I said, you said you when you first read the the bio of mine that you weren't sure how much you can contribute, but you contributed a lot. Trust me, because there's you know there's a lot of people that don't know anything about this, including me. I didn't, you know, I I've, I know I've got to learn certain you know brain injuries and just certain things that can happen to your brain but you know i never i've heard a little bit about this but i didn't know any of the details that you said and but and it's just good to hear the story and connection that you have with him and um you know like i said my goal is just to make sure people don't feel alone and you know there's someone out there a parent um or a child that's going through this and you know they don't think there's anyone out there like them and it's not true because you and your son exist. So, uh, so hopefully we can help somebody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But again, thank you. And, uh, like I said, um, we'll talk very soon. Hopefully, um, you said we'll work on whatever we're working on with your show and and anything else. And just in general, even if you just want to talk, uh, just talk. It doesn't have to be about you, me, or son. It could just be about daily life. I don't care. If you need someone to talk to, just please reach out. I'll answer my phone. Hmm. That's very kind of you to do that. That's really amazing. We need people like you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so we'll talk soon, and um, yeah, I hope you uh, have a good night. Are you... Um are you editing the 